Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 99, and the topic for today is diversity and inclusion. Now, it's been a while. For those of you who listen to this podcast series regularly, you'll notice that I haven't had an episode published for some time, but delighted to say that I'm back and I've got a whole series of episodes written and guests lined up to interview as well. I want to, first of all, thank all of you who sent gentle reminders and requests for me to continue to put out episodes and a few expressing concern that I wasn't. The message Rocky wrote on Facebook, that is facebook.com slash lifehabits, is quite representative of the feedback that you gave me and the encouragement that you gave me to record more episodes. I quote, Hi Carl, just dropping by and hoping you will make more episodes. I can't wait. Thank you for being a good advisor and a mentor to me through listening to your podcasts. Such a great find. Take care always. So thanks so much, Raki, and all of the rest of you who have requested additional episodes to come. So today's episode is one, like many of the topics that we deal with on this series, is one really close to my heart. It really focuses on the objective of really being fully uh, inclusive of everybody, everybody with regard to whether they are of different genders or races and even life experiences. And every category that you can imagine of of diversity uh, is what we're talking about here. Anything that makes somebody different from somebody else is what's included in this notion of diversity. And I wanted to also just mention that there have been previous episodes that are related to or at least are relevant to listen to if you want to really be effective at furthering your own habits with regard to diversity and inclusion. And that is uh, Life Habits number 52 on confirmation bias, uh, Life Habits 89 on developing empathy, and also Life Habits number 90 on gender equality. And there's others that'll, that are related as well. But the whole notion of confirmation bias, of this notion of that we have an idea in our heads, a preconceived notion that makes us prejudge, right? That's really the, the foundations of the, the word prejudice, that we prejudge based on a conclusion that we've made about somebody before we even meet them. And a lot of the time we do that. And our minds are constructed in such a way, very efficiently and very well, to deal with many situations in the environment that we used to have years and years and years ago. And that is that to be able to very quickly make sense of our environment and as a result, be able to apply a series of sort of filters to be able to determine whether there's danger out there or not, and whether there is something that we can very quickly sort of summarize and, and not have to attend to all the details. That's really what a lot of the, the biases that we as humans have, where they really derive, they're, they're a way of us being more effective and efficient at dealing with, you know, a wide range of information. But we have to overcome those natural tendencies to want to, you know, summarize our world and make sense of our world really quickly and not 
prejudge, especially when we deal with the topics like we are dealing with on this podcast episode. So that's the notion of bias. And then the other one, the whole episode on developing empathy, that the best way to not prejudge, not have prejudice, and not being affected by confirmation bias is actually to get the information directly to, in this case, we're dealing with people, to empathize with the other person and really actually get to know them, which is really a fundamental to a new way of seeing a situation where you're not simply making a conclusion before you even meet them. So uh, the techniques of, of, of developing empathy are, are appropriate here, and they are very generically uh, ones where we want to make sure that we listen more than we talk, that we really try to get to know the person and you'll find out in almost all instances that you have more in common than you have differences. And that's often a surprise to people. And, and a lot of the time you also want to even understand the differences in a way that will be really enriching to your life. You know, uh, in certain cases, people may be different from you, but that can be a real positive. And especially in teams, there's evidence to suggest that teams that are more diverse, uh, and that goes for any team, that's a work team, that's a, that's a sports team that can be a, a, a board of a, com a company. The diversity really determines how creative that group can be. And, and you think, well, why is that the case? Well, you've got more you know, differing points of view. You have different life experiences. And if you're, you know, in, in product development or in, in servicing clients, if you have a more diverse team, you also are more reflective of the audience and, and the clients that you're serving as well. So you've got people on your team that are just like some of the people that you're serving. You're going to be way more effective at empathizing and way more effective at being creative at coming up with solutions, you know, for them. So those are the three episodes that I suggest you listen to if you haven't listened to them already, as well as to listen to them again if you have listened to them, if you really want to get the foundations of the approach that we're using here. So let's look a little bit like we normally do at some inspirational quotes on this overall topic of diversity and inclusion. We'll start off with Malcolm Forbes, who said, diversity, the art of thinking independently together. I love that. Diversity, the art of thinking independently together. I also like Mohandas Gandhi's quote, I do not want my house to be walled in on all sides and my windows to be stifled. I want all the cultures of all the lands to be blown about in my house as freely as possible, but I refuse to be blown off my feet by any. A long one, but I think really insightful. Franklin Thomas said, one day our descendants will think it incredible that we paid so much attention to things like the amount of melanin in our skin or the shape of our eyes or the gender of a person instead of the unique identities of each of us as complex human beings. And lastly, there's a proverb that says, variety is the spice of life and variety in the types of people that we associate with is also a way of making your life richer. So there's three areas that I suggest that you develop habits in related to the overall topic of diversity and inclusion. The first is recognizing and then eliminating any biases you might have. 
I've probably talked before in the episodes here on the kind of books uh, that uh, Malcolm Gladwell writes, and he does an amazing job, I think, uh, with only one exception, of writing about a lot of research that is in the scientific literature and then synthesizing it and really making a really good sense of what you could take from that. And he's also just a great storyteller. And so he told the story in his book, Blink, about biases in orchestras, uh, in orchestra auditions in particular. And so what was interesting was this story about a an orchestra in Europe, in Berlin, I think it was, and the auditions they were going to have included a um, somebody that was a family member of the the conductor, the maestro of the orchestra. And this maestro, and like many other maestros of orchestras at that time worldwide, were of the view, and this one in particular was very strongly of the view, that orchestras needed to be filled with men and that men had the strength and had what it took to play the instruments of the uh, of the orchestra. And so always just assumed that uh, that's who they needed to hire. And all of the auditions they used to run were also done in the open. You could always see whether it was a male or a female player. Well, because this situation where one of the people that was going to be auditioning was related to the maestro, they decided they would do something different, that they would do the auditions behind a curtain. So you couldn't see if it was the family member or not. And they also ensured that there was no other utterances or sounds other than uh, the person playing. And as they did this, uh, uh, these auditions, the, uh, the person who was the by far best turned out, in fact, to be a woman. She thought she actually had messed up her audition because later on in the, in the audition piece that she actually had some part that she didn't do as well as she thought. But um, a lot of the time we make judgments very quickly. And it turns out that the, the maestro had heard the beginnings of her playing and was just absolutely convinced that this was the player that he needed in his orchestra. And he was very, very surprised to find out when she did, in fact, have to be called up from the dressing room because she was already going out the door thinking that she hadn't been selected, was asked to come back. And it turns out that everybody was really surprised that uh, she was that, in fact, player that was the uh, the best and was then chosen that way. And because of that experience, it's now common practice across orchestras all around to now do auditions blind, if you will, behind curtains, and thereby eliminating the the potential for, for bias. And what's really interesting is that the number of women in orchestras has gone way, way higher. And this is a lesson in really thinking about the unconscious bias that many of us have. And men and women have that. And we have it vis-a-vis gender. We have it vis-a-vis race. We have it vis-a-vis sexual preference. We have it vis-a-vis people that have tattoos. Uh, We have it vis-a-vis, you know, shorter people versus taller people. All kinds of biases, right? And we're generally not aware ourselves that we even have these biases. So you may well think that you're a totally open ended person that is totally fair and doesn't have any biases. We all have biases. And I think the point that I want to make here is if we want to be more diverse and our teams uh, be more diverse and to be more, more inclusive of a variety of people that are very different from ourselves, we have to start by really 
recognizing some of the biases that we have and then eliminating them and doing essentially the equivalent to whatever might be appropriate in the environments that you're in really doing something essentially equivalent to doing an audition for an orchestra behind a curtain, right? So there are ways of doing that. I know I, at one point I was doing some recruiting of designers, and at one point we actually uh, uh, masked the gender of the uh, of the portfolios and that sort of thing and so to make sure that we were actually not going on the basis of any identity of the person, but really just evaluating the quality of their work. And of course, later on, you end up doing, you know, interviews that are in person and the like, and there's certain roles that you can't, you know, change that totally and eliminate uh, any any sort of identity. But you can at least introduce it at various stages to make sure that you actually have somebody coming in that, that just is superior because of the design work that's in their, in their portfolio. They have a better chance of then evaluating the rest of the program. The other thing I would add is, the notion of thinking about what that might end up being in your organization. And even if you don't do an extra step like that, at least to be cognizant of the fact that you, in all likelihood, have some level of biases and to recognize that you likely do and even challenge yourself with regard to that to step back, even though you may know sort of the identities of the people that you're evaluating, let's say, to actually step back, think about what kind of bias you might be, if you're already favoring a particular person, let's say, and think, well, let me, let me think about this. Or do I have some biases that are actually influencing this decision because I really want to make sure that I get the best person in this role? And the best teams, by definition, are also ones that are more diverse and when you're more inclusive. So that's, that's the number one, recognizing and, and then eliminating sort of biases. Okay, the second habit is understanding and empathizing. And in this case, I'd like to tell you another story, and that is uh, about Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis is a black man, and he grew up in international schools around the world. And so he was always with people from all kinds of races and backgrounds and countries and the like, and had never really experienced prejudice and really being different, any more different than anybody else was, until he came back to the United States of America. And he experienced incredibly strange sort of reactions that were really new to him in terms of being um, seen for and being evaluated by the color of his skin which was really unusual for him. And so he's always had an interesting perspective on this. And what he decided to do was actually to reach out and uh, later on in his life to reach out to members of the KKK and actually really get to know them and for them to get to know him. And an interesting thing happens when you actually understand somebody else and you truly empathize with each of you to each other. You start to realize that the biases that you had and the prejudices that you had are really unfounded and uh, you get to know each other and you start to really appreciate a person that is very different from you in some, you know, usually superficial respects. And so in his case, he has very successfully actually converted a lot of KKK members, the Ku Klux Klan members that are sort of the white supremacists, over to seeing things entirely differently and a number of them, you know, hanging up their robes uh, sort of thing and no longer being part of that overall movement. And what was really the key ingredient? Again, 
understanding the other person and really getting to know them and really empathizing with where they're coming from, actually understanding things from being sort of as if you were in their shoes, seeing things from their perspective. There are also other instances where people have committed hate crimes, have burned down mosques in one other instance that I read about, where the when the perpetrators uh, actually meet some of the people that they actually committed this crime against, they get to know each other really deeply and are really remorseful. And, and often it's the event itself or the crime itself that sort of gets them together. But there there's a, a real, again, understanding of the other's point of view and their life and their life situation and relationships change dramatically. The same thing has happened as well where there's a lot of you know trolling on the internet that many of you I'm sure have heard about of very very mean and disgusting things that are said about and are uh, threatened with people on on the internet on on Twitter in particular and often against women. And what's really interesting there again too is when those trolls actually meet some of the people that they're trolling and saying all these horrible things to. They too, just like the other instances that I've described, take a totally different perspective and are then very sorry for everything that they had done to the other person, truly empathize with where, where that other person's at, and are no longer, you know, no longer carry out this kind of activity. So in many ways, whenever we are distanced from another person and where we where we don't get a chance to meet them. And so often digitally, that's a real challenge. You know, when you just see somebody tweet something on Twitter, it's really easy to just bash away back at them. But if you actually meet them and see them and you talk to them as real human beings, that's a different situation, right? And so again, the second habit to develop here, and and these are extreme examples I'm telling you, but the same holds for instances where you may have a particular person that you're working with or, you know, a member of the family. It might be that somebody that somebody is dating that you may have a bias about. Get to know them, empathize with them, really see where they're coming from, and you'll be way more accepting of and really welcoming of diversity and as a result, be more inclusive of people that are different from you. The third overall category, so the first one again was recognizing and eliminating your biases. The second was really understanding and empathizing with people that are different than yourself. And the third is really championing and celebrating diversity and inclusion. And here the the point is that if all of us were to be more vocal and our views on the importance of diversity and accepting others that are different from ourselves, and also, you know, just being more inclusive. If we were to be more that way, so others could see that that's our point of view, on social media, for example, or among your family and friends, and even, you know, publicly, we're going to be moving the needle on this topic. If you're private about it, you don't really say anything. If you see somebody else being unfairly treated, if you're just quiet about it, you're not going to be moving the needle on this thing. But if you were to voice your own views on the importance of getting to know somebody and really seeing and celebrating some of the differences of the people that we deal with, that will make a huge difference. And if all of us do it together, the whole society can move faster on this as well, which I think is happening, by the way. If I look over my whole career and my lifespan, a lot of these topics have really been significantly improved over that whole time period. But that doesn't mean that 
we don't have a lot more room to improve, and we do. And so we need to focus on these things that I was just saying here. And in some respects, we have even gone backwards, I think, on certain countries or certain organizations and like as well. So, and these, there's certain organizations that have a bigger challenge with this, you know, the the classic one of Silicon Valley, the gender diversity not being, or, or any diversity for that matter, not having been at all a focus. And as a result, I think decisions were made that would have been different had the teams been more diverse and more inclusive. I wanted to also just mention that about being public about this. I went to the Pride Parade with our family for the first time last year. And, you know, it felt good to, you know, publicly support the Pride uh, sort of whole movement of being, you know, more celebratory about differences and the like. But also I was absolutely emotionally taken aback and really moved by the sheer positivity and and love not only on sexual preference sorts of topics, but generally the attitude toward the world and where the world needed to go was just an incredibly positive experience. And it was in such marked contrast to all the negativity that we see and all the hate we see in the news from all around the world. So I think the notion of and being part of and championing really the notion of diversity and inclusion and being public about that, I think will have major impacts on the world sort of being better over time as well. So I think those are the three major areas of focus that I think are important. And I just wanted to give you one other example of all of these sort of put together. We had a, uh, where I work, we had a, an instance where we were looking at the promotions that we were going through and deciding on with regard to gender and visible minorities and looking at sort of what our trends were. And earlier on, we were noticing that we were promoting promoting more white males. And we said, okay, well, we don't, we want to be effective. We want to make sure we're choosing the right people. We started to look at some of the unconscious bias and decision-making, but even, I think even more importantly, really starting to sort of understand all the dimensions of what goes into sort of evaluating a person and their and their work and their, their readiness for a higher level position. And what was interesting was uh, another colleague of myself decided to do some mentoring sessions. And what we learned, and certainly what I learned, was that there's gender differences, for example, in the ways in which somebody uh, represents themselves and describes their work and their, the work of their team, as an example. And, and, you know, this isn't across the board. This isn't necessarily every single person. But there is a trend that I saw where males were more likely to be saying that they themselves did some piece of work and women were more likely to say that their team did it. The real truth is in between, right? The men didn't do it alone and the women led a lot of the time the work that their team had done as well. So more effectively, I think for males and females and men and women, was really to focus on, okay, we did this as a team, and this is the leadership I provided. These are the, the things that I, I personally did. This is the work that we did, you know, with the team. And very accurately and authentically describing the work in that way and having men and women take more of that approach can lead to a more effective sort of evaluation of the work that was done without actually intervening and noticing some of these patterns. This is just one of the patterns, but there are many others. Others like that women were less likely to actually think they were ready 
for a promotion, whereas men were more confident that they really needed to get to this next uh, level. That, again, is something that you can intervene on and, and encourage both to at least go through the evaluation of whether they could be promoted. So this isn't just a unconscious bias of people doing the evaluation. It's actually inherent in the differences that we have in the ways in which we approach situations. And I think we also, I think, really need to work on improving and changing the ways in which we do this, which, you know, in our company, we actually did do. We now do formal mentoring that along these lines. And we now are at a point where we've got a really diverse and appropriately equal representation of men and women and visible minorities as well, because it was not only looking at our unconscious bias, but we also looked at the actual differences that existed that we really needed to change in the way that people were communicating, the way they were making decisions and the like as well. So that's the overall topic of diversity and inclusion. We could probably go on for hours on this topic. I certainly feel strongly about it. And I think also that if we all made this a priority, not just all of you, and I always celebrate the fact that all of you take an interest in and really actively work on improving yourself, but if we also encouraged others to do the same, and you by your own example, having others follow you, we're absolutely, I'm convinced, going to make a change in the world and make a change in your organizations where you may work or even in your families or your sports teams or your PTA meetings or whatever might be the case. You can lead and model appropriate behavior as it relates to diversity and inclusion and really change not only your own organization, but also be a part of a change to the world. And there's a lot of examples that are negative examples of this that we're seeing with certain world leaders and the like. But I think we all have the power to change ourselves as this overall series talks about and thereby influence others as well. Okay. I often like to read the ratings and comments from iTunes and others uh, around the world, as also the emails that I get to uh, lifehabits at gmail.com. Because we're sort of starting this one again here at the 99th episode, I did want to be a little bit different in the approach that we take this time. I wanted to share some general feedback that, uh, that I get in conversations around when I have been speaking publicly. So I, I do keynote addresses at various conferences. I'm also at a panel typically. They're usually design or business related. I also run uh, workshops that involve a lot of people. And what's interesting is that a really common thing that happens is somebody will come up to me after my talk or my panel or the workshop and will say, you know, I was listening to you speaking and I recognize your voice, but I couldn't place you because we deal with this topic in an auditory form and you don't really see my picture or my face. And so it's always a, an interestingly jarring experience for people to then realize, oh, I do know what I know you from now. I, I listen to your podcast. And then we get talking about this. And they also say, well, your voice is also a little different when speaking in public versus in the podcast mode. And I like to make the podcast very much a more intimate one-to-one -one conversation that we have here. I imagine that I'm only speaking to you and with larger groups, of course, and publicly, uh, public speaking, I use a different voice because I'm projecting to a whole room. But what was interesting, though, is I also get 
the personal stories in person from people that have come up to me after these talks and the like and talk about the way that this podcast series, the almost 100 episodes that we've now recorded together, had an impact on their lives. And I find that incredibly valuable, actually having some feedback, especially when we basically record a an audio file and send this out and all of you experience it and listen to it and make hopefully differences in your lives in the ways that you change your habits and behaviors. It's really great to hear back from you with regard to that as well. So do in whatever form you want to do that in, when you if we see each other after a talk or whatever, please do come up and identify yourself. Also, you can provide ratings and comments in iTunes. I encourage you to do that. You can also write to me via email at lifehabits at gmail.com and share this episode as well as the uh, any of the others with uh, friends and family as well. So it feels great to be back recording these episodes. We've got some great ones coming up. We've also got a 100th episode anniversary episode coming up and then a, a series on life changes and a variety of themes with regard to interviewing people that have particular insights of going through what life changes many of you may also be going through or contemplating going through. So we'll be focusing on that over the next few episodes. And with that, I thank you and we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now.